As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman for our second episode of the week. Bruce, on Sunday's pod, we gave a shout out to former Georgia coach Jim Donnan for alerting us to Caleb Williams. And then you had the idea, hey, why don't we have Coach Donnan on this week? Yes, you and I both heard um, his insights into that situation and he called it and played out. I mean, not he didn't say it was going to happen in Red River, but this is kind of a scenario that he had talked about overtaking Spencer Rattler. And this has become a big subplot to the 2021 season. Also, we'll talk to Jim Donnan, who's very close. Uh, he still lives in Athens, very close to his former player, Kirby Smart, and that program, as well as some other things in the SEC, and get his perspective on the Crimson Tide and a few other things uh, as well. Um, so we'll, we'll be, uh, getting to your mailbag questions as well. And we will hit that in just a little bit, but first coach Donnan. All right, Stu. Now we're pleased to be joined by our friend, hall of fame coach, Jim Donnan. All right, coach, here's the deal. I know. And I didn't realize you, you'd kind of told Stu this too, but you have been the biggest proponent of Caleb Williams going to overtake Spencer Rattler. You said it like a year ago, and then you said it again, uh, you know, to me a, a bunch uh, this summer. Um, and lo and behold, it looks like you were way ahead of the curve on that. What did you, what convinced you so much about Caleb Williams? Well, the first thing I want everybody to know, particularly Lincoln Riley, the staff at OU, all this was based on watching him last a uh, couple years ago at our camp that uh, I have a tendency to go over there sometime when some of my ex-players' sons come to camp. And uh, the day that he was there working out, uh, just uh, unreal, his skill set and uh, his just presence, everything he did. And then after he was here, I asked uh, them to send me some tape on it. I watched his sophomore tape at uh, up in Washington, D.C., and then I just followed him and – you know, both of you guys know that I've got some OU background and like to follow them and really pull for them. And uh, one of the things that's hurt them 
is not having anybody back there. They can move around in the pocket and and help their running game uh, like these previous guys did. Nothing against Spencer. I mean, he can't help it that the line's not that great. But I just felt like Caleb would give him a really good boost as far as being that it guy. You know, he he's a guy that can make things happen. He really has good presence. And uh, certainly what a great performance he had Saturday. So both of them can help OU. There's no question about it. But this is not your typical Oklahoma team. When you look at their stats for the first six games, five games, they weren't putting many points on the board. And uh, all of a sudden now the running game's opened up. Uh, and certainly we'll see how it goes from here on in. But I think everybody's got to see including you and Stu, who once in a while listened to me, that this guy is really special. I mean, if you look at his skill set, he's a lot bigger than uh, Baker and Murray, uh, throws the ball better than Hurts, and and can move a lot better than Heisman Trophy winner Bradford. I just think he's a big-time guy. Well, I'm sold. Um, I, 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 don't get me wrong. I didn't think you were crazy for saying it. I just hadn't seen the guy yet. Now that I have, uh, I'm on the bandwagon. So you, you coach Georgia, you're still in Athens. You're still very um, wired into that program. Number one team in the country and really have just been absolutely dominant um, ever since that Clemson game. So give us your, your assessment. And they've also, you know, weathered a lot of injuries. I mean, are, are we, um, should we be fully bought in here? Is this, uh, is this team? I mean, right now this team looks pretty, uh, pretty flawless. Uh, what, do, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you mentioned the injuries, and certainly that's the one point that I would say that every team's got to weather the storm, but we've been in a hurricane as far as injuries here. I mean, out of our top 44, like 14 or 15 guys have missed one or more games, and you know, several uh, Pickens and guys like that haven't played at all, Pickens, Gilbert. So I just think uh, defensively, but both of you know, George is always going to be really – uh, uh, geared towards their defense with Kirby Smart as the head coach. And it just has an unbelievable pressing front seven that puts so much pressure on the quarterback and pressure on you to make first downs. And all of a sudden their secondary, which was a question mark, has really started to blend in with them. And I think they're going to really continue to even be better on defense offensively. You know, everybody talks about JT and Spencer, but, um, you know, I think the fact their old line's coming around and, if we can get some of these receivers back, uh, you know, I think our, our offense is really going to flourish too. Certainly we haven't been challenged, and no question about it, but you got to take the schedule that you got and play it. But uh, this is really a, a pretty good football team that has everything in front of it, particularly if some of these injured guys get back, Stu. Jim, let me ask you, obviously you were at Oklahoma. Um, people know how good the offense was, but you coached against, you know, a ton of talented guys on the defense. And then when you were at Georgia, I know you had a bunch of guys who went into the Hall of Fame, whether it was Champ Bailey and Seymour and and David Pollock, I think. And, you know, there, I feel like there's probably a few other guys who were, who were in that mix. So you, you, know, you know what it's like to have special talent and seeing it out there. Give me a perspective on what you see from the personnel that Kirby Smart has in his front seven on defense and just how good you think that group is and how deep it is. Yeah, I mean, they got some war daddies. There's no question about it. And the one thing that's just overwhelming about them, uh, and I'm not a homer here. I'm trying to be realistic talking to you guys because I know everybody in the country is listening to it. But 
just guys that can really run, uh, Bruce, guys that can get off blocks and, and take a lot of pride in, in, in stopping, uh, you know, teams and really, really don't want them to score at all. But they got athletic guys beside Davis. Everybody talks about his size and speed, but uh, Jalen Carter is just a freak there. You know, good basketball player, played tight end in high school. He can really run the same thing with Walker at the other D tackle. And then two outside ends just uh, – both have run under four six laser, and the three linebackers got really good speed. Reminds me a lot of those Miami defenses we had to try to play against when you we talked about. Oh, you couldn't, you know, when I was coaching there, just speed, quickness, size. I don't know if we got a Jerome Brown, but I don't know if anybody ever had one of those guys. Uh, he certainly gives me nightmares thinking about him. So obviously. I mean, uh, Kentucky's next. I don't want to totally skip over it, but I think that the storyline of the second half of the season is going to be what happens if Georgia plays Alabama in the SEC championship game. They had some heartbreaking losses to them the last few years. Obviously, Alabama it looks mortal. Um, just lost to a Texas A&M team and, and a quarterback that had been struggling before that. You know, you watch them closely. What's your assessment of what's going on with the Tide this year, and, and is it fixable? Yeah, one thing real quick, you know, Kentucky's going to challenge us. I mean, they got a lot better offense than we've seen at Kentucky, and that's going to be a, uh, a game we got to really manage because they can throw and run. But, you know, as you mentioned, we're favored and we'll be favored against Florida, but they got the running quarterback. But looking at uh, this Alabama team, I think if you just check their personnel and you look at the pro draft, which both you guys look at, most of these guys getting drafted at Alabama the last couple of years are offensive players. They don't have a lot of defensive guys that are high draft choices playing on defense. And the teams that have really played well against Nick Saban, you look at them over the years, Johnny Football, uh, Ole Miss, uh, Burrow, uh, you know, anybody, that, uh, uh, Watson, Lawrence, if you got a quarterback that can play like his hair's on fire, and I think Zach Calzada had an out-of-body experience the other night. I mean, just unbelievable the way he was able to throw the ball efficiently and protect the way they protected him. I mean, no rush at all, really, as far as harassment. I thought Jimbo Fisher and Daryl Dickey and, and all that offensive staff, you know, they know everybody that's coached for Nick knows what gives them trouble. It's just hard time to get it across during a game. It's taken 23 or 24 X guys to do it. So, they did a great job using formations, uh, using their uh, tight ends, and just uh, really attacked them. But from my perspective of what's wrong with Alabama, it's not so much what what's wrong with them. I just think a lot of other teams are really good this year, and they're going to challenge them. They're not as dominant defensively, and they haven't been for the last couple of years. They have a hard time with uh, pace. They have a hard time with people that mix up their personnel groups. and we're just going to have to see uh, how it goes the rest of the year, but their schedule doesn't look that daunting the rest of the five or six games. So it looks like a collision course course with Georgia, if we can make it there and I, I like our chances. Yeah. I'm curious you know, you mentioned some of those mobile quarterbacks. Um, obviously that's not this, you know, Stetson Bennett can run. Uh, JT is not mobile like that. How do you, I mean, I don't want you to preview a game that ha that hasn't even been set up yet, but I mean, if you're Georgia, what do you, what do you think is ideal to face them from your quarterbacks? Then? Well, and, and even more 
immediate. You know, the, the everybody's assuming when JT comes back, he gets the job back. But Stetson Bennett's playing really well. How would you manage that situation? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to change a winning game. I mean, that's one thing they always you say in any sporting event is never change a winning game and always change a losing one. But, you know, the thing that will help us immensely get Pickens back because it gives you that force on the outside that they got to work on. But uh, you got to give Stetson credit. Last year, he was ahead against Alabama the first half last year. Uh, only team to lead Bama at halftime was Georgia. So, in their undefeated season. So he knows how to make plays against them. And certainly JT's arm gives you a really good shot too, because he's very good at throwing the ball down the field. But the thing that helps us just like it helps any offensive line. And the same thing we're talking about Caleb Williams helping OU is you got a guy that can move around in the pocket and avoid those, those sacks that get you off the field and give you three more downs to really attack people. So Stetson's pretty good at that, and you know our kids believe in him. Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun to watch down the stretch. I think uh, I had to convince Bruce; he wasn't fully convinced about the Georgia offense, but I think he is now. Um, I'm con- I'm convinced Georgia's really good. I'm not yet convinced they're gonna win a national title. That's all I'm saying. All right, I'm, I don't think I am either, but I do feel like this. If you know, if, 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 but all of a sudden, if you get Pickens back, if you get Burden back full speed, and then all of a sudden uh, your tight ends start to flourish like Bowers and Watson have, they got the backs. I mean, there's no question they got really good backs with uh, all these guys. And I think as a coach, if you've got a defense like ours and a kicking game like ours, we got a really good punter and a really good field goal kicker then you're halfway there and, you know, the other teams are, are not going to just score that easily on you. It's not going to be like some of these championship games the last few years where you got to score 35, 40 points. So people got to score some points on us. And to this point, they haven't. All right, coach, we appreciate your perspective and uh, thanks for the heads up on Caleb. We're, we're wise to him now. <laughs> um, feel free to feed us any other uh, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, coming have- job changes. You know, well, uh, with my situation now, with uh, I've got more time now, to, you know, and I appreciate all you, you guys uh, checking in with me when my wife passed away. But it's just uh, really good to keep up with both you guys, listen to your podcast and everything you do. And once in a while, I'll slip you a nugget. I hope it <laughs> works, but I enjoy trying to do that too. So keep up the good work. All right. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. Thank you. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Thanks to Coach Donnan for joining us. 
And let's get to the mailbag. As always, you can send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. Our first question is short and sweet, and it's from Derek Muller. He asks, is Iowa 2021 the new Notre Dame 2012? Whoa. Quite the comparison. Uh, obviously, that team is remembered for going undefeated, but being completely outclassed by Alabama in the national championship game. You know, I got a similar question in the mailbag on The Athletic. Basically, can you remember a team that was ranked this high that had such a discrepancy between offense and defense? And I cannot. So I just looked up 2012 Notre Dame. Uh, they were number 38 in the country in yards per play on offense and number 46 on defense. So the answer to his question, I think, is no, because Iowa is much more dominant defensively, number four in the country, number one in turnover margin, and much, much worse on offense. Bruce, number Iowa is number 121 out of 130 teams in offense. Do you think that team, if they don't get a lot better offensively, can get into the playoff and hang with one of the, uh, one of the Blue Bloods? Can get into the playoff? Yes, I think they can get into the playoff because if they win the Big Ten, they're going to the playoff and they would have some really nice wins. Um, I think the parts that's good for them is they have a terrific running back in Tyler Goodson. He is he is a guy who's good in space. He is a big play kind of guy. They have a really good tight end in Laporta. They have some you know solid receivers. I don't know if they have anybody who any defense is defense coordinator is going to be losing sleep over. I think the question ultimately is what do you get for Spencer Petrus? Now I got to flip it a little bit back to um, the way you frame that question or frame your answer to Derek's question. You know, Oklahoma is the flip side of this back when Lincoln Riley had it rolling early in his tenure, where this is predating Alex Grinch showing up, but they had defenses ranked in the hundreds in yards per play allowed where they had among the one or two best offenses in college football. This is the flip side of it, obviously. Um, I don't know. I, I think the question for me, and I know you, you kind of dug into this a little bit. Um, you look back at those Notre Dame teams that we're talking about. They did not have anybody really special as a running back. They had good tight ends. They had really good offensive lines and they had very, very underwhelming quarterback play. And I feel like Ian Book actually played pretty well over the last couple of years. But I think the question for a lot of people, if you were to rank the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten, and I don't think it's like a great year for quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Right now, I don't think anybody would say Spencer Priestress, even though he has a 9-2 to two TD, to, uh, TD to interception ratio, would be in the top five, right? Would you think he would be? Top five? I don't think so. Uh, now, the question, if you were going to go straight up 2012 comparison, who would you rather have? Everett Golson, who was also uh, kind of a maligned quarterback, or Spencer Petras? I think I can, I can picture Iowa fans listening to this and saying, well, he doesn't put up big numbers because he doesn't need to. He, uh, when, you, when you're you know, suffocating opposing offenses and getting three or four interceptions a game, you don't need your quarterback to go out and throw for 300 yards. But the counter that is, I do think you need your quarterback to be decent. And he was against Maryland, 
Um, but on the whole, on the season, to answer your question, he's the uh, Maryland. By the way, has a he's really the eighth ranked quarterback in the Big Ten. Still. Maryland has a really suspect defense still. Yeah, and also in that game. So the thing that Iowa has has going for it is why they're kind of getting away with this pedestrian offense is they have they force so many turnovers that they're often sh- going short field. Like they don't have to go 75, 80 yards to score a touchdown or kick a field goal. Um, my, my thing is they're going to be favored in every game the rest of the way. They are definitely better than the rest of those Big Ten West teams. But then they're going to get to the Big Ten title game, and whoever comes out of the East, right, there are four top ten teams in the East right now, is going to be a really good team, probably with a really potent offense. And I'm thinking Ohio State there, obviously, but you could also say that about Michigan State. Michigan's pretty good offensively as well. You're going to need to score some points. It's just not – they're not going to get in the Big Ten title game and hold Ohio State to 13 points. So, you know, I think – they can continue to ride this formula and have a great season and win 11, 12 games, maybe go to the Rose bowl. I don't know about playoff. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think they can go to the playoff. I just don't, I think at some point and look, I, I know I, I riled up a couple of our Georgia fans, I think yesterday who, who didn't appreciate me being still, still skeptical about their offense, but here's my point on this. And I think again, I think Georgia has has more firepower necessarily. Look, Tyler Goodson's a really good running back. And yes, Georgia has a really good tight end, but Iowa has a really good tight end. I'm not saying they're identical. My point on this is in the last five years, the national championship has all had an elite quarterback. That's the, that has won it. And even before that, if you didn't, you had a real difference maker skill guy, which Alabama certainly had in the backfield or you know, they had they had those guys outside. Um, that's the part that I think to beat other elite teams, I just feel like your margin for error eventually, you're gonna need you're gonna need some big plays. And it's just hard to win to win games 13 to 10 against really or you know, 14 to 9 against against other teams that have really good players on both sides of the ball. I agree. I will say I've noticed an interesting kind of, I just kind of chuckle at this. All we heard all off season and probably for a couple of years actually is how boring college football is because the same four teams keep going to the playoff. Finally, you look at the top of the polls. We finally have some new blood, Iowa, Cincinnati, et cetera. And now all I hear is those teams don't belong up there. They would never be able to hang with Alabama or Ohio state, et cetera. So, Hey, which one is it? Do we want to give these teams a chance? Or do we want to just go ahead and pencil Alabama in, even if they lose another a game down the stretch? I don't know. Uh, let me ask you this next question from Mike in Pennsylvania. Hi, guys. With USC open and LSU and Miami likely opening, there has been a lot of chatter about big names like James Franklin and Mario Cristobal. What about another big name, Tom Herman? What are the chances Herman could resurface as a legitimate candidate this coaching carousel? Obviously, his Texas tenure ended unceremoniously. I'm surprised I haven't heard more about a guy with a 700 winning percentage as a college head coach. I do not see Tom Herman landing, you know, if and when he does get a college head coaching job, I think it's going to be at a group of five level place. I just think with, with the reputation he has now amongst ADs in terms of, I think there is concern about his leadership uh, capabilities. Yeah. He had one terrific year at Texas and then some other years that I think we'd describe as kind of middling, 
Um, but I think it comes back to the perception of, of leadership. There were a lot of people around the Texas program who did not buy him and just did not feel strongly about his leadership skills. And I think that's a hard thing to kind of, it's not to say he cannot grow from that experience. I'm sure he probably will, but it's not easy to, I mean, Texas was a big, big job. The other thing with him is he was only at Houston for two years. So I think the notion that like, that he had really built Houston and he had a great first year and then a not as great second year. And then he got the Texas job. And I don't, my guess is no, he is not going to get a job of that, of anywhere near that caliber um, the next time around, whenever it is. I don't think it's going to be this year. I don't think it's going to be this cycle. My guess is it may be a little further down the road. It's actually amazing. I know he's a behind the scenes guy with the bears right now. You just haven't heard from him since he got fired from Texas. I don't know if he's done a single interview. Um, we don't know what he's up to. Uh, I only throw this possibility out to you that I just thought of. Tom Herman spent time at Iowa state and at obviously Ohio state. So he's recruited the Midwest. If Luke Fickle goes to wherever, Tom Herman, next coach of Cincinnati? I don't think so. Honestly, I think there will be a lot of people who want that job this, in, the, in the shape that Luke Fickle will leave it in. I don't know if Marcus Freeman wants to take over that job, but if, he, if Marcus Freeman's thinking, I can get a bigger job than Cincinnati, but I think that would be the first call if you're Cincinnati. I think there will be a lot of, there'll probably be more attractive candidates for Cincinnati at that point than Tom Herman. Interesting. You know, look, I don't think his Texas tenure was necessarily disastrous. They just have very, very high expectations. If you remember, Charlie Strong got the USF job and he was much worse at Texas record wise than Herman was. His so re- I, honestly, reputation coming out of it, I think different. amongst people, yeah, was in a different place than where Tom Herman's reputation is right now. Well, maybe he'll be an NFL offensive coordinator next year. We'll see. Okay, Stu, this question is from Ryan in Houston. Don't want to get too crazy, but listening to the podcast and the discussion around Kentucky, I want to know if they play a competitive game against Georgia and Athens and then go on to win the rest of their games, and that would make them 11-1, do the Wildcats actually have a chance to make the playoff? Okay, Stu, I think you, uh, what are you going to say here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any, any one loss Power 5 team, even if they don't win their conference, is going to be on a very, very short list for those top four births. Now you don't know who will they be being compared against, but it's happening. I mean, we've had Ohio state in 2016 was 11 and one. They made it Alabama in 2017 was 11 and one. You know, I think it kind of depends on a, how do they look right? We know there's some style points involved in this and B what does their resume look like at the end of the year is Florida still in the top 25 at the end of the year. So that, that counts as a top 25 win. I don't know if I see another top 25 win on here, though. After Georgia, they play at Mississippi State, host Tennessee, at Vandy, then New Mexico State, then Louisville. So it's probably not going to be – they're going to be an 11-1 and SEC team that has a somewhat underwhelming resume. So I wouldn't necessarily like their chances, but they would definitely be – I mean, look, this was A&M last year. They were, uh, well, 10-1, and I think, in the COVID year, and they were number five. They were the first team out. Um, without winning the SEC West. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't was, rule it out. What was different about that last year, though, Stu, was you had Clemson there from the a- ACC. You may not have an ACC team. You probably won't. So nope. 
that gives it another seat at the table. Doesn't but don't you like- think that if there is going to be a conference at this point, if there's going to be a, well, let me back up. Alabama wins the table and beat runs the table and beats an undefeated Georgia. They're both going. I think we can agree on that. But short of that, I mean, the Big Ten's got five of the top ten teams right now. It seems to me that if anybody's going to get a second team in, that's maybe eleven and one, or 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 if Iowa goes twelve and zero and then loses in the title game, um, that they might have the chance to take that that Clemson spot. Maybe. You know, maybe so. Um, I think that's kind of what it needs because now you're going to have some of these teams in the Big Ten East start having to play each other, and that's where I think you're going to start losing top eight teams. They're going to start right. to be in the teens. All right, Cade Massey in Austin, Texas. He's a Texas fan, and he says, I have major questions about defensive coordinator Pete Kwiatkowski. Coach Kwiatkowski arrived with a great reputation, but through six games, the product on the field has been shockingly bad. So here's my question. How long until we can fairly judge a new coordinator? He didn't recruit most of these players and he can't change their habits overnight. Still, OU looked like they were running and passing against Western Carolina out there. Ouch. How much is he to blame? Six games enough to judge a major coordinator hire. I don't think it is, especially in this case, you have a guy who's proven to be a really good defensive coach from his time, uh, especially in the Pac-12. I think you have to get acclimated to the players you have and the personnel. Remember, this is like, you know, what's interesting is Pete Kwiatkowski, when he was at UW, had a ton of big-time talented defensive backs. They may not have all been highly ranked guys when they came in, but you look at what the NFL thinks of those guys, he had some big-time players on the back end. Texas, on the other hand, had a lot of big recruits, they're not that they, they're nowhere near as talented on the back end as what he had in Seattle. And I think once once they kind of upgrade that part of it, I think then they have a better chance. But right now, I feel like that has probably been the adjustment. You go from having a bunch of NFL dudes that you're working with in the secondary. And now, all of a sudden, you don't have the same caliber of players back there. I think it's going to show up and it's shown up. All right, we're going to wrap with a couple of com- comments more than questions. First, this one from Lonnie. Hey, Stu and Bruce, I get that it'll be overshadowed by other games on an eventful Saturday, but Utah getting a win at USC in their first game after the tragic death of their teammate was incredible. It's beautiful to see the togetherness and resiliency of this team. Please give the Utes a mention in your podcast. I 100% agree with Lonnie. I don't think uh, we can possibly fully understand what that team has been through to lose another teammate, uh, Aaron Lowe, um, right after losing Ty Jordan in the off season. Uh, and they come out and they, they kicked USC's butt. And by the way, they play Arizona state this week, uh, in what is suddenly a, a pretty big game in the PAC 12 South. So give, um, consider that the shout out. Yes, same here for me. You know, a pretty remarkable job by that that program to 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 do what they've done in the circumstances they've had. And finally, and you and I have a bit of a disagreement about this. We had asked, I believe, the listeners um, if they can think of a situation remotely like Spencer Rattler, the preseason Heisman favorite, losing his job. And a couple of people said Der- Terry Dean from Florida in 1994, and you were very skeptical of that. Well, John R. in Louisville, North Carolina. Terry Dean was the Heisman favorite by the time a Heisman favorite by the time of the Auburn game in 1994. He had a terrible day, was replaced by Danny Werfel, and things were never the same. I always remember that day. Florida was number one, had the Heisman favorite, and left the field with a loss and a new quarterback. Dean was demoted to number three 
QB under Spurrier. Um, so he's not necessarily, I looked, I went back and looked at some clips. He wasn't necessarily the Heisman favorite like Rattler was, but he was definitely in the conversation. In fact, Florida launched a publicity campaign for him. Yeah. I don't, again, I don't think this was like the Rattler situation in terms of the buzz around Rattler. I don't remember anybody's, you know, this was back in a different era. So it's a different kind of conversation, but people were talking about like Spencer Rattler as first pick of the draft guy next year. The buzz around him was profound. I don't, again, the Terry Dean was not that he was, it was in the Heisman discussion after they had a huge start of throwing seven touchdowns against New Mexico state and getting off to a fast start. Yes, I don't think it's, but this, what we're talking about, I feel like is just a different scope when it comes to Rattler and the, the 180 that's going on there now. One thing I will say is in 1994, when, when newspapers were still thriving, the Heisman race got a lot more coverage than it does now. Like, I, I don't feel like we really even talk about it until closer to December. But in those days, you know, when I was looking up these clips, every newspaper in the country had, you know, on Friday, a page previewing all the top 25 games and there was a Heisman watch, you know, in there. Um, like I said, he was mentioned as a Heisman candidate in like the preview of the Ole Miss game. So that may be part of it is that it just seemed more, it's more, I don't know, the more that the Heisman conversation was a bigger story in the sport back then. And so it probably seemed like Terry Dean uh, was getting a lot of hype. All right, as always, you can send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. <music>